Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Well, hello there. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Monday, August 8th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we have a bunch of waiver wire options. The drop-o-meter. When I add players, we got to drop players too. Jacob DeGrom was otherworldly on Sunday, so we'll, we'll talk about that outing and I guess what we should do with him rest of season, assuming your trade deadline hasn't passed. And of course, we'll get into much more. But let's jump in. Oh my good, goodness gracious! Well, hello there, Scott. How, how are you doing? I'm fine. That's good I'm to hear. I'm pretty good. Kind of a rough weekend for our teams, right? We were talking beforehand. Your bra- yeah. Your Bravos, my Yankees, not, not looking too great right now, but... No, no, uh... Yeah, the Mets certainly look like the real deal in the NL East. I was kind of optimistic about the Braves' chances of passing them at some point just because I've seen this story play out this way so many times before. Uh, But when you get DeGrom and Scherzer in the same rotation... Yeah, it's it's uh, it it, it kind of looks like game over at this point. They're up six and a half games now after taking four of five. You know, they're still close to two months to be played, so things can change. But given the the current makeup of the Mets roster, they look they look pretty formidable. That's for sure. Not not Dodgers formidable, who I believe are thirty five and five in their past forty games. Insane, but um. Yeah, I don't know how anybody's going to beat them, but we've said that before, and they've been beaten. So, yeah, so there there are some dominant teams out there. That's that's for sure. Yeah, it's shaping up for a fun finish for sure, heading into the postseason. But we've got time before that comes up. All right. Oh my goodness gracious! From the weekend's action, Scott, where would you like to start? 
I would like to go off the beaten path here with somebody who's only 8% rostered and a hitter. And that hitter is named Paul DeYoung of the St. Louis Cardinals. Another pretty good team, those Cardinals. And they may be better now that Paul DeYoung is back in the fold, which may seem surprising to say, given how awful he was at the start of the season. The fact he's only 8% rostered again. But in eight games since returning, he has homered three times. He has doubled three times. He has six walks versus nine strikeouts again in eight games. Uh, and he also, in, in the minor leagues, at, in, in AAA, where he spent so much of this season trying to rediscover his form, he homered six times in his final nine games before returning. So you combine majors and minors, Paul DeYoung in his last 17 games has nine home runs. Clearly very hot right now. And yeah, I tried to uh, look into maybe what he changed, um, get kind of an explanation, get some really some uh, reassurance that what we're seeing now is legitimate improvement and not just some heater that he's on. And I didn't find much concrete information. Paul DeYoung's basically just says his confidence has been restored. And now when he's up in a big situation, he's, he's not dreading being up in a big situation. He's, he's confident that he's going to come through. Uh, his manager says, you know, he's, he's going with pitches now instead of trying to pull everything. These are, these are typical things you hear about players who are no longer struggling. Uh, so I, I don't have anything concrete for you, but Paul DeYoung was obviously a fantasy asset in the not-too-distant past and is hot enough right now uh, as a middle infielder that I think he's worth looking into again and in leagues deep enough that they have that extra middle infield thought that it might actually be a struggle to fill for you. Right, yeah. I mean, especially in those deeper 15-team leagues, middle infield spot, if you need power, it seems like that's going to be the obvious uh, skill that Paul DeYoung provides. It's funny that you bring up his confidence in, in big situations because this weekend that was so evident, right? On Friday, it was uh, he's got runner, two runners on base facing Clay Holmes in the eighth inning. He hits a a two run double, a go ahead double there for the Cardinals at the time, yep. and then a three run yeah, homer. Was, that was the exact situation he was yeah. referring to. And then a three run homer here on Sunday, which actually uh, wound up being the difference in the game because. Uh, DJ LeMahieu hit a home run in the ninth inning that would have tied it if it wasn't for DeYoung hitting that three-run home run um, the inning before. So it's funny that you bring that up. Uh, yeah, definitely does look confident early on here in his return. He's got six games this week, including three games in Coors Field. So specifically for this week's matchups, uh, you love to get those games in Colorado. A couple other deep league middle infielders have emerged here, Scott. Luis Renjifo. Uh, his last 38 games now, he's batting 327, three homers with four steals. He's 18% rostered. Nick Gordon with the Minnesota Twins, he is hot. His last six games, he's got 10 hits, one homer, two steals. He's playing more consistently now with the Twins. They've had a lot of injuries. Uh, and kind of interesting from like a power speed perspective, just looking at his stat cast profile. This is Nick Gordon, 92nd percentile hard hit rate. 72nd percentile in sprint speed, and he's got three different position eligibilities. Jose Barrero hit two home runs this weekend, a double dong on Saturday. So there's a lot of names emerging here. Scott, do you like Paul DeYoung more than the other ones I mentioned? 
Yes, I like Paul DeYoung the best of that group. I did put in in, in some of those fifteen team roto leagues I'm in some some low dollar bids on Nick Gordon. The the data, as you point out, is pretty interesting. I believe it was pretty interesting last year too. But he actually does have a considerable number of at bats already. Two hundred thirty two at bats entering Sunday. Five home runs, five steals. So, you know, maybe like a 10-10 pace, 12-12 pace if, if he was a full-time player. Not not, um, you know, not crazy production. Maybe he could be kind of a Gene Segura light. By the way, Gene Segura himself is back, uh, had a big game on Sunday, and he's only 64% rostered. So he would, he would trump all of these guys if you're looking for a middle infielder. But I would say Paul DeYoung... Uh, of the three you mentioned here, I, I would rank them to Young, Nick Gordon, and then Luis Renjifo third. Okay, and Jose Barrero, I threw him in that mix too, Scott. He would be behind all those names, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he did have the two-homer game. Uh, one of the home runs was hit less than 100 miles per hour, which isn't particularly impressive, but the, the main hang-up with uh, Jose Barrero for me, in spite of his high prospect standing, he was terrible in the minors this year i mean awful 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 209 with a 649 ops 37.6 percent strikeout rate against minor league pitchers really bad so i'll need to see more than just an isolated two homer game from him he followed it up with a three strikeout performance sunday and that's more what more that's closer to what barrero's been doing all season I agree with you wholeheartedly with Gene Segura as well. He is 68% rostered on CBS. That has to be close to must roster, like 100%, because I have to imagine somebody out there uh, needs a second baseman or, or a middle infielder in their league, and he was really, really good earlier in the season. The Phillies' offense is really kind of clicking right now, and that's without Bryce Harper. So once they get Bryce Harper back, hopefully for September, the stretch run, this offense will be even better. Gene Segura back inside my top 15 ranked second baseman. So again, I do think he is a must-add where available. Uh, let's move over to some waiver wire pitchers here, Scott. Oh my goodness gracious for me, Edward Cabrera, who made his return on Friday, and he was going up against the Chicago Cubs. He tossed five no-hit innings in his return. He had eight strikeouts to three walks, 17 swinging strikes on 78 pitches. Got him on all different kind of pitches here. Five on the slider, five on the curve, four on the changeup, three on the fastball. We know he throws the ball very hard. He can generate these whiffs, 14.8% swinging strike rate through the four starts he's made this season. Obviously, it's a pretty small sample size. Does struggle with control. There's no doubt about that. 5.2 walks per nine. He's 50% rostered, pretty widely available at the Phillies this week. Don't necessarily love the matchup, Scott, but uh, what did you see from Edward Cabrera on Friday, and do you think he is a must-add where available? Well, two big things stood out for me with Cabrera. You you mentioned, one, that he got at least three swinging strikes on four different pitches. You don't see that a lot. Usually it's one, maybe two pitches that are responsible for, for the bulk of the swinging strikes. Also, he allowed no hits in five innings. Remember his first two starts after he got got called up, he allowed three hits in 12 innings. Uh, Then he had one start where he gave up like seven hits. But, you know, there's this start with zero. There's our first two with a combined three. Also on his three rehab starts before getting called up, Edward Cabrera 
allowed one hit combined in 12 innings. So, you know, if you remove that seven-hit start from the equation, he's he's been pretty close to unhittable everywhere he's pitched, which is pretty interesting. So, yeah, I would say at this point, uh, I know I've been kind of lukewarm on him when he's come up before. Of course, he's missed a lot of time with injury this year. Uh, so it's been a while since we've we've really needed to analyze him, but I, I think I'm back on board with Edward Cabrera being uh, one of the biggest pitcher pickups from this weekend. If if not the biggest, I'm just not sure about the roster rate of some of the other guys who would be in that discussion. Like, right. uh, like I don't know what Reed Detmers is up to in terms of roster rate. Yeah, he was the next one I was about to mention. Detmers, I have at 70%, but maybe that That's went up. pretty low. Yeah, 70%. Yeah. So still available there, Scott. Let's compare. These are the four that, that really stood out to me most. Detmers has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in five straight starts. He was at the Mariners. Seven innings, one run, seven strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes in this start. He is, as I mentioned, 70% rostered. George Kirby, his first quality start since July 2nd. He was up against the Angels. Six innings, one run, eight strikeouts to zero walks. He had 14 swinging strikes. 68% rostered is George Kirby. And then Kyle Gibson, Scott, I believe you have as a sleeper pitcher this week. He's got a great matchup going up against the Marlins once again. He went eight innings, one run, four strikeouts against those very Marlins. Overall numbers for him are not great, but we obviously do like that matchup. So uh, how do you rank those four? Edward Cabrera, George Kirby, Reed Detmers, Kyle Gibson. I go Detmers number one. I think I'm still going to go Kirby number two, but I, I saw when I was looking, you know, reconfiguring the two-star pitchers for next week, which I do every Sunday, it, it seemed like there were a couple sources that seemed skeptical Kirby was going to make a start at all this week. I haven't seen anything official saying they're going to skip him, but he threw only four innings in his previous start, even though he was pitching well. So there's there's some inning chicanery going on with Kirby, understandably, and that that could complicate his situation. So, yeah, Detmers one, Kirby two, that's a close call with Cabrera three, and then Gibson four, who I don't think has the upside of the others. I think he's a fine matchups type because he generally pitches deep into games. I do want to mention the numbers for Detmers because it's getting to be all the more impressive every time out. So in five starts since returning, a 116 ERA, a .94 whip, 11 strikeouts per nine innings, 14% swing strike rate. He's clearly a different guy with this, uh, with this slider that he, he figured out how to throw again in the minors, He's got the velocity up on it. And in fact, he increased the usage of it in this most recent start at Seattle on Saturday. He uh, Detmers threw his slider 41% of the time for the year. I think it's a little less than 25% of the time, 41% in this start. And uh, it's, it's been going up since he returned. He's clearly has a lot of confidence in it and he should. Yeah, actually was a season high 41% usage on the slider for Detmers this weekend. He's now ranked inside of the top 60 starting pitchers for each of Scott, Chris and myself. And rightfully so Detmers has been, Amazing, as Scott highlighted. I think I would take Cabrera over George Kirby. I think just talent-wise, they're they're probably uh, very similar in terms of upside. I just I don't really know like how the Mariners are going to use Kirby moving forward. It's it's kind of weird, but um, yeah, I think I'll take yeah. Cabrera just because of that. But it is close between those two uh, for me. 
I do want to mention, we've got to get to him early on here. Uh, Jacob deGrom, Scott, about as dominant as you'll see him. <laughs> like The guy has not missed a beat. It's pretty crazy I didn't want stuff. to talk about it, Frank. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, should we just skip it then? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> he took a perfect game into the sixth inning up against your Atlanta Braves. Uh, five and two-thirds, one hit, two runs allowed, one walk, 12 strikeouts, 25 swinging strikes on 76 pitches. That is a 33% swinging strike rate. League average is like 10%. 33% swinging strike rate for Jacob DeGrom in this start. It's just bananas. 18 of those whiffs on the sliders, 7 on the fastball. His slider velocity was up nearly 2 miles per hour in the start, which, frankly, Scott, I don't really want to see Velo being up for Jacob DeGrom, but whatever. Yeah. As long as he makes it through the start healthy, I guess we can't really complain all that much. Uh, seeing a start like this, Scott, it just kind of reminds you of... Maybe why you shouldn't try and move Jacob DeGrom if, if your trade deadline hasn't passed, but mm. the other side of that is he, he's coming off an incredibly dominant start, and you probably could get a top 15-ish pitcher for him. Uh, well, you know, maybe even more. I mean, and yeah. that's, that's, I mean it, it always comes down to what you could actually get. Like, it's, it's easy to, for us to sit here and, and theorize and imagine a best-case scenario uh, and maybe everybody in your league is as leery of, of DeGrom's chances of staying healthy. It, it would make sense that they would be. But it, it's a major concern for DeGrom. It's also the only concern. Like, clearly, he's going to be DeGrom. He's going to be the most dominant pitcher in baseball for however long he is healthy. And, um, yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd rather not see him throw so hard because he didn't always throw this hard and he was still the best pitcher in baseball. He doesn't need to do it this hard and I feel like it just increases the risk of injury him constantly ramping up the velocity uh, seemingly every year it gets it gets to where he's throwing harder but you know if it like he's, he's go, he, if he does stay healthy whether he's on your team or somebody else like he, he's gonna be a big he, he's gonna help that team a lot so you know I could certainly understand just okay, I've already done well without him. Now I got him just for stashing him all this time. And he could be the single player who puts you over the top if you just stick with him and keep your fingers crossed that he's able to, to finish out the two months without incident. But, you know, on the other hand, you were doing fine without him. You stashed him all this time. You have him now for free, basically. You could turn that free asset into another really good asset or maybe two and let somebody else take on the injury risk. And I think I think either one of those approaches could uh, could be the reason you win the league. If it were me, I'd at least explore the safer route. But I'd want to be overwhelmed because, in theory, I'm giving up what may be the the best fantasy asset for the rest of the season. You know, mm-hmm. so it would. I'm not. Uh, I'm not so anxious to move to Grom that I'm going to be willing to be less than thrilled with my return, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So you have him ranked as your SP21. And I will admit, at least for me, ranking Jacob DeGrom is incredibly tough because you have to weigh how amazing he is when he's on the field versus his injury risk. But let's say you can get someone who clearly is not nearly as good on a per-inning basis, like a Max Freed or even a Joe Musgrove who's slowed up recently. Would you do that one-for-one one if you can turn DeGrom into one of those guys? 
probably not. And I know that seems inconsistent with the rankings. Uh, but I, but what it, I was trying to lay out there is that even knowing the risks with DeGrom, the benefit being what it is, uh, it, it, I might be willing to take a bigger gamble than I would with another injury. But like, let's say this was Clayton Kershaw and he wasn't already on the IL and he's pitching well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be as protective of that asset as I am of DeGrom right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take a bigger risk with him for the potential huge payoff. And I'd want to be overwhelmed. Like I said, I, it would take a, it would take like a Max Freed and it would take like a big bat as well. Uh, I'm always bad at coming up with an example on the spot, but. I don't know. It would take like, uh, let me look at an outfielder here. It would take like, what if you can get Max Fried and JD Martinez, right? Like a top 25 outfielder. Well, I, I have concerns about JD Martinez specifically, but let's say Brian Reynolds or Teoscar Hernandez along with the pitcher. Let's say someone even a little higher in like Kyle Schwarber. I think that's possible, particularly if you're in the, the shallower the league is, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted at that point to do it. I think Eloy Jimenez too, Scott. I mean, I know I've mentioned trying to buy him right now, and he looks really good since returning. So maybe Eloy and another, you know, top fifteen or top twenty pitcher if your trade deadline hasn't passed. But uh, there's huge name value, obviously, with Jacob Degrom. So I agree. Like, if you're going to shop him, just try and maximize your return if you are going to do that. Let's stick with the pitchers and get back over to the waiver wire. These were uh, waiver wire pitchers part two. And we have Graham Ashcraft, two strong starts in a row. He was at the Brewers here this weekend, five and two-thirds, one run, three strikeouts. I did notice his velocity was down pretty much across the board in this start, but it did not affect his uh, production in this one. He's going up against the Cubs this week, so that's a pretty good matchup. Justin Steele tied a career high with 10 strikeouts up against the Marlins, and he's 24% rostered. Good matchup against the Nationals this week. Mitch Keller makes it five straight quality starts. He was at the Orioles, six innings, one run, only one strikeout, and he is at the Diamondbacks this week. Last 12 starts for Mitch Keller, 3-1-6 ERA, 1-3-3 whip is pretty high, uh, but getting a ton of ground balls right now, 51%. Dane Dunning, back-to-back quality starts. He was up against the White Sox, seven shutout innings, just one hit, one walk, six strikeouts. His velocity up across the board for Dane Dunning. Not that he throws particularly hard, but I thought it was interesting to see. He is 17% rostered up against the Mariners this week. Scott, any interest in Dunning, Mitch Keller, Justin Steele, Graham Ashcraft? I, I think Dunning's velocity was up at his previous start too. They're not quite as much, so I he has a he ha, he's been emphasizing his slider more. Uh, I, I want to say recently, and and that's his best swing and miss pitch. So I I think Dunning might be making some changes that are that are going to help maximize his arsenal. Somebody to keep an eye on. I'm I'm not saying I'm not interested in picking him up yet. Of these four, my favorite is still Ashcraft. And I'm not saying he's must roster or anything. I just think I see the most room for improvement there. I think he has the best chance of emerging as a real standout in fantasy, while the others I don't think have much of a chance of that, really. Uh, Keller, yeah, he's been putting together quality starts lately. He's completely abandoned 
strikeouts to do it though. Kind of just leaning into this new sinker that he's developed and getting ground balls with that. And that's usually not a recipe for fantasy greatness. They all have good matchups this week. So I, you know, you could consider any of them as streamers, but I think, I think Ashcraft is still my favorite. All right. Waiver wire pitchers part three. These are going to you know, be relevant in even deeper leagues in the previous group, but man, Matt Manning tied a career high with seven strikeouts against Tampa Bay. He went seven shutout. Four hits, three walks, had those seven strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes. He's 18% rostered. Brad Keller bounced back with a strong start against the Red Sox. Six innings, one run, four strikeouts there. Dean Kramer posted a quality start against the Pirates. Six and a third shutout with only two strikeouts. And Herman Marquez, I know it's tough to trust Marquez, especially any Rockies pitcher. He does have a quality start in four of his last five outings. And during that time, he's got a 3-1-3 ERA, 107 whip. And his fastball velocity was way up in the start, nearly two miles per hour, averaged 97 with the pitch. So he is 36% rostered, home start against the Cardinals. There's no way I'm using him, but kind of interesting right now. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Matt Manning, Brad Keller, Dean Kramer, and Herman Marquez. Well, I mean, Marquez has the best chance of developing into a fantasy asset. Again, of course, we've seen him be that in the past, but I agree. I'm I'm not ready to give him another shot just yet on my teams. Uh, the, the Matt Manning start was interesting because, of, of course, he was a big prospect heading into last year and uh, was a big strikeout guy in the minors. And we haven't really seen any indication that he could be that in the majors. This start was the closest he's come. He got the seven strikeouts in seven innings. He got 13 swinging strikes, which was a career high and a decent number. I didn't really see anything that would indicate it's it's uh you know something's changed for him in terms of the arsenal or the way the pitches move or whatever i i think it was kind of a fluky thing but if if manning starts doing more of this he could become interesting again all right the last group that i have here these are reserved for the deepest leagues i mean they're all less than 10% rostered drew smiley had his best start of the season 6 and 2 thirds shutout with four strikeouts against the marlins garrett hill a starting pitcher with the Tigers had a strong start against Tampa Bay. Five and two-thirds, one run, six strikeouts there, 15 swinging strikes. Thought that was impressive. And his minor league numbers this season, Garrett Hill, pretty good. 3-2-3 three, three ERA, 108 whip, well over a strikeout per inning, 98 strikeouts over 69 and two-thirds. And then Glenn Otto had one of his best starts of the season against the White Sox. Six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts to just one walk. His slider velocity was up one mile per hour in this start. And he threw that slider, a season-high 44%. Uh, He's at the Astros this week, so you don't want to use him, but kind of interesting. Scott, what do you think? Drew Smiley, Garrett Hill, Glenn Otto, the deepest of leagues. I'd have a a difficult time using them, maybe in a points league scenario where you need the volume. Otto, if he throws his slider more as he did in this start, he he could become maybe a little more reliable than he's been, but I'm not ready to act on it yet. It would have to be a really deep league and probably a points league format. Uh, Otherwise, you're better off starting a reliever. All right, let's move over to some of the waiver wire hitters who emerged this weekend. MJ Melendez is getting hot. His last four games, he's got six hits, including three home runs. He's 70% rostered, could be out there in some one-catcher leagues. He's got seven home games this week. Scott, how do you rank MJ Melendez, Carson Kelly, Jose Trevino? You just did. Ooh. Alrighty. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say those are probably the three best performing catchers who could be available right now. Carson Kelly has been awesome over the past month, and uh, Trevino has been solid as well, but I agree. MJ Melendez coming around there, the prospect pedigree, and uh, hopefully the Royals lineup in general can kind of keep it going here. Salvador Perez getting hot as well. Tommy Pham went two for five with his 12th home run on Sunday, and he's now moved up to the leadoff spot for the Red Sox with Jaron Duran dropping down in the lineup. He's... Uh, 60% roster, Tommy Pham is. Six home games this week. Scott, are you a little bit more interested to add Tommy Pham now that he's leading off for the team? Uh, I mean, p- potentially. Uh, that's obviously a positive development for his value. This was his first home run, the one he hit sat- Sunday. It was his first home run since June. Ooh. So he had been pretty useless Damn. for weeks and weeks. Uh, but, you know, I think in five outfielder leagues... Him being already 60% rostered, maybe maybe he's already picked up in all the five outfielder leagues. But if he isn't in yours, then then yeah, you should look into Tommy Pham. By the way, I was curious uh, how the Royal, because I, I saw MJ Melendez had this big performance this weekend, as you pointed out. And I was curious how the Royals, with Salvador Perez back, with Nick Prado and uh, Vinny Pasquantino up, how they were managing to fit everybody in the lineup. And they've basically made MJ Melendez a full-time outfielder, full-time outfielder and backup catcher for, for Salvador Perez. Uh, while Pasquantino plays mostly DH and, and Prado Prado may, plays mostly first base. So they're, they found a way to get them all in. It wasn't, I, I was thinking Prado, if, if anyone was going to move to the outfield, maybe him, but it looks like Melendez has been there instead. And and that's a good thing for his fantasy value too, because uh, that that means he'll probably play more regularly than the average catcher. And I feel like M- Melendez has been underappreciated all year. I mean, the batting you know, the average is good. The batting average has been underwhelming, Scott. But just in general, you're yeah. right. I mean, well, he has been picked up with this hot streak. But yeah. Yeah. He has been a productive player as a catcher eligible player in fantasy. Not, you know, not that I'd want to use him in my outfield, but I don't think anyone's really using him there anyway, right? Like, you're most likely using him as a catcher, or at least you should be. Luke Voigt had multiple hits in three of his last four games since coming over to the Nationals. He hit a home run off of Ranger Suarez on Saturday. He's 51% rostered. I know we spoke about Voigt last week, Scott. Uh, Did this big weekend change your mind on him? No, I mean, he. He got hot, and he's still capable of doing that. But I don't think Luke Voigt is going to... I mean, he's certainly not having the year I hoped he would coming into it, and I don't think I don't think a switch is going to flip here, and he's going to turn into the must-start first baseman I hoped he'd be with the Padres, especially with that lack of supporting cast with the Nationals. Yeah, for sure. A couple deeper corner infielders who could be available... Well are definitely available. Rockies prospect Elihiris Montero had six hits this weekend, including a home run, and he was having a big season in the minors. 310 batting average, 15 home runs, 933 OPS. I did have some claims in here Sunday night, Scott, for Montero in those deeper, you know, 15-team leagues because six home games in, uh, in Colorado. You know, prospect pedigree, I'm pretty interested there. Derek Hall, Three more homers this weekend, including a double dong on Sunday. He's betting 282 with eight home runs in 29 games. Hits the ball hard, puts it in the air. Exactly what you want to see from a power hitter, especially in Citizens Bank Park. Uh, they've got six games this week, only one left-hander on the 
schedule for Derek Hall, so that definitely uh, favors him. And then Charles LeBlanc is a third baseman for the Marlins. He had six hits this weekend, including a steal on Sunday. Also had some interesting numbers in the minors this season, Scott. So uh, what do you think about those three if you need a corner infielder? Montero, Derek Hall, and Charles LeBlanc. Well, I was trying to see how Elahiris Montero got in the lineup, and it looks like he was just starting instead of Ryan McMahon, and I, I don't think... No, because McMahon did get a start at second base during that stretch. It just seems like the Rockies are prioritizing Montero over McMahon right now, which is fair. I mean, McMahon's been terrible this year. Pointed out last week that somehow he's still rostered in like 80% of CBS Sports Leagues. I don't know why. No idea. Uh, that's Yeah, that's a weird one. So, I, I mean, look, anytime a Rockies hitter... Any any Rockies hitter who hasn't already invalidated his case, uh, if if he if he comes into regular bats for that team, he's somebody to keep an eye on in fantasy. And in Montero's case, you know we saw how productive he could be in the minors. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on him, and maybe should have put in some claims in those 15 team leagues like you did. Hall has shown good p- power, Derek Hall, uh, with elite exit velocities, putting it in the air a lot a good combination for hitting home runs. And that's what he's done. He's played virtually not at all against lefties. I think he has like six at bats or something. (laughs) They've been really careful about how they've used Derek Hall. And uh, you mentioned it's mostly righties this week, but the Phillies do have the toughest matchups of any team. So I'm not particularly enthusiastic about using Derek Hall, even with all those righties on the schedule. And, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not terribly enthusiastic about Charles LeBlanc either. So of those three, I would say Elahiras Montero is the one who interests me the most. Derek Hall, if you're playing the matchups, you could you could think about using him. Montero, by the way, looked into this weekend, Scott, to see where he was playing. It was first base on Sunday, DH on Saturday, third base on Friday. So they're kind of mixing it up. They're moving him around a little bit. I know Connor Joe has really lost out on playing time recently, which just absolutely breaks my heart, but uh, yeah, he's being phased out, and it looks like maybe they're moving towards a youth movement with Montero there. If you need speed, we mentioned his name on Friday's podcast, but Rangers outfielder Bubba Thompson went one for four with two steals on Friday. He has started four straight games for them. He's 6% rostered. Again, deeper leagues, five outfielder leagues. You need speed. The name there, Bubba Thompson. Let's take a quick break, and we'll get to the news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, 
legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The news and notes. Fernando Tatis began a rehab assignment on Saturday with Double A. He went 0 for 2 with two walks. Padres manager Bob Melvin said they're targeting a mid-August return for Fernando Tatis. So maybe we're mm-hmm. like seven to ten days away, something like that. I yeah. feel like that I mean, could make we're not, sense. We're not far from mid-August. <laughs> yeah. And I might say two days from now. I hope so. Mid-August. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's get that done. I, I don't think it'll be activated in two days, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Like, when does mid-August start? The tenth. Makes sense to me. The tenth through the nineteenth. That's mid-August. I heard on the ESPN broadcast too that Tatis is going to play both center field and shortstop, so could have uh, outfield and shortstop eligibility for next season again too, which would be pretty awesome. So. Definitely will take that. Mike Trout took dry swings on Saturday and had no issues. He's dealing with that rare back condition and has been out since before the All-Star break. Obviously, the Angels aren't playing for much, but it sounds like Mike Trout does want to return this season. Alex Kirloff is scheduled to undergo season-ending ulnar shortening surgery on his wrist <laughs> Tuesday. That's that's like a tongue twister. That's a tough one there. Ulnar, ulnar shortening surgery. That's a bone. Because I've always heard like ulnar nerve, but yeah. this is a bone that's being shortened in the hopes that it it uh, it relieves the pain in the wrist, which has been ongoing pretty much from the time he first broke into the majors. And we don't have a lot of case studies on this. It's not um, it's not something we've seen a lot of. It sounds kind of like freaky, like. I think of Gattaca, that movie Gattaca, where they had like the leg the leg lengthening surgery. This is shortening. This is shortening, not lengthening. It's kind of, I don't know. <laughs> I hope it goes well for him because he has a lot of upside and it would be sad for his career to never get off the ground because of this. But it, it seems like uh, they're expecting him to be ready for spring training. But we, we, don't, we don't know exactly how this is going to go because we haven't seen a lot of instances of it. Scott, I know that you will be very surprised to know that I never heard of the movie Gattaca and obviously I've not seen it as a result. It's not <laughs> It's not a particularly well-known movie. Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, Uma Thurman, I think, is in it. 1997, I want to say. Sounds like a pretty star-studded cast. Yeah, I, I don't think it was uh I don't think it was a big box office success or anything. It was pretty good. I got another movie take for later on in the podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll save that for later because I don't want to bog us down. Hopefully, I'll get to it. But Alex Kirilov, uh, as, as we mentioned, this is his second major procedure, and he's only 24 years old, so we'll see what happens. Hoping for the best. Tyler Stevenson isn't expected to return the season after undergoing surgery to stabilize his fractured right collarbone. Tim Anderson started his two-game suspension on Sunday and will also miss one of the doubleheader games on Tuesday. Mitch Hanniger... Uh, on Friday, they said maybe he's a week away, and then it turns out he was activated on Saturday, and he went one for three with a double and a walk in his return. D-backs apparently are going closer by committee moving forward. So, Scott, what is how are you handling this? If you're, Are you looking to add Ian Kennedy or Joe Mantiply in deeper category leagues as a result? Oh, yeah, Ian Kennedy. I was putting in some bids for him in those deeper roto leagues. Won him in one. Uh, obviously, he he's not near the priority of like Felix Bautista, who's still available in more than half of CBS sports leagues. 
but I suspect Ian Kennedy is going to get the majority of the save chances going forward. It was interesting that they removed Melanson and then they went right back to him for a save Sunday when when Kennedy presumably was unavailable because he'd pitched the previous two days. Right. Uh, but it was another shaky. Melanson came through with the save, but it was shaky. He allowed like three base runners. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't see him reclaiming that role really. Could Joe Mantiply, who's a left-hander factor? He could, but I think it'll be mostly Kennedy moving forward. You know, I get that Joe Mantiply is a lefty, but he's far and away been their best reliever all season. So yeah, would be nice yeah. to see him get an opportunity. But again, lefty closers, we don't see it all that often. Personally, Scott, I was prioritizing Jonathan Hernandez, Rowan Wick, and Will Crow all ahead of Ian Kennedy in those deeper leagues on Sunday. Will Crow, really? Um, yeah, so he picked up a save earlier in the week with David Bednar unavailable, and then Bednar went mm-hmm. on the IL, and then I think Will Crow pitched the ninth inning again the next day, although okay. it wasn't a save opportunity. I think I'd prioritize Jonathan Hernandez, uh, but I might go Kennedy second of that group. Who else did you mention? Uh, uh, Rowan, Wick, Rowan, Rowan Wick. Wick. Yeah, I'd, yeah. Rather, I'd rather have Kennedy than Wick, because I just, like, Wick has like a 170 whip, I I understand there's not a lot of competition there, but I just yeah, like he might be so bad that it doesn't matter. I know he's been better recently. I think he's got like a 10, he 10 game scoreless streak or something like that. So, but still, I yeah, mean, one seventy whip in August, <laughs> not great, not great. Tyler Glass no. now threw a bullpen session on Saturday and was deemed fully healthy, reaching ninety eight miles per hour with his fastball. However, he will not pitch in a game this season. He's twenty nine percent rostered and. Look, if you play in a keeper league and, and maybe you're out of it or you just have a, a spot to stash somebody for next year, Tyler Glass now, he's obviously someone you can add in that format. Trevor Rogers began a rehab assignment at AA on Sunday. Maybe the time off will get him back on track. I mean, can't really be much worse than how Trevor Rogers was pitching earlier in the year. Justin Turner is on track to return on Tuesday, which I would imagine means bad things for Miguel Vargas. Yeah, well, I mean, they he started twice, right? Yeah, and I think both times at DH. Yeah, it's only been two times in what five games, I think. Yeah, yeah. they don't they don't seem that invested in playing him. Now it could change suddenly, like if he goes out there one of those games and has three hits and one's a home run and he drives in five runs or whatever. Like maybe they start playing him all of a sudden, but. Um, I would say that rostering Miguel Vargas is not a very high priority right now. And if if I was a betting man, I would bet on him him being sent back to the minors before he becomes an everyday player in Los Angeles. Travis Darno left Saturday's game with a leg injury, was seen wearing a protective walking boot on Sunday, and is not expected to return until Friday, which means if you have him, you should plan for a different catcher this week. Maybe even add William Contreras in Travis Darno's absence. Ian Anderson was option to AAA on Sunday, but is expected to return next weekend for their doubleheader. I believe it's against the Marlins, so that could yep. be a good matchup for him. But it could be. But the, yeah. he's also expected to be sent down. Like he's he's staying with the team now, going to be part of the taxi squad until that start that doubleheader start comes up, and then he's expected to be sent down mm-hmm. to AAA legitimately to hopefully get on track and um, and hopefully he can because I, I think the stuff is good. I noticed he threw the curveball a lot more in that great start against the Diamondbacks and then went back to not throwing it 
that much against the Mets this weekend. And maybe he just needs more confidence in that third pitch. It doesn't seem like a bad pitch. I mean, it's, it's, it looks pretty when you see him throw it, but, mm-hmm. uh, but he needs more confidence in it to, to get the most out of that changeup that's been so devastating in the past. Yeah, and you know, Scott, I thought his curveball was one of his, I thought it was like the curveball and changeup were his two best pitches coming up through the minors, right? So, yeah, well, I remember when he was drafted, the curveball was the main pitch they were hyping up. I, th- I think the yeah. changeup came along later. And I don't know if he just, I, I don't know what happened with the curveball, but I, I, I think that's the key to unlocking Ian Anderson's potential. What do I know, right? But the the Braves obviously figured out how to get Kyle Wright right. So I I think they could, you know, I I have, like if if, if we're talking a dynasty scenario, you know, maybe don't be so quick to to jettison Anderson because I do think he has a future. But yeah, he needs needs to spend some time figuring things out. Aaron Savali is scheduled to return and start Wednesday against the Tigers. He's 33% rostered. Scott, do you have any interest in Savali? Almost none. All right. Fred Reyes was officially designated for assignment by the Guardians on Saturday, which I know he's having a bad season. It just seems very sudden that Fred yeah, Reyes is being DFA'd. So I would yeah. have to imagine he's going to latch on with some team, and I, I hope he does because... I think he can still play. Juan Yepes is starting a rehab assignment on Tuesday. Rowanzi Contreras recorded nine strikeouts over four innings at AAA on Friday. He's 29% rostered, and he's looked very good. I think he's made like four rehab starts, Scott. It's, are you looking to re-add Rowanzi Contreras anywhere? Uh, it, it'd have to be a league on the deeper side. I, I do think there's definite potential there. A lot of spin on all his pitches. Good swing and miss potential. But he pitches for the Pirates, and his previous stints have gone poorly. So, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a huge priority right now in fantasy to add him. Rangers th- third base prospect Josh Young is also picking up starts at first base while rehabbing in the Arizona Complex League. And just a name to throw on your scout team for now, Josh Young. That's spelled J-U-N-G, because it would not surprise me if he does pick up some playing time here in September. Players who went to the IL this weekend, Clayton Kershaw with that lower back pain. He received an epidural injection on Friday. And Scott, I thought about adding Ryan Pepio and a few of those deeper leagues. He's 11% rostered. And then I remembered that Dustin May is going to be back soon. So I got rid of him. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a chance he gets a spot start. I think there's a pretty good chance of that, especially since... You know, Mitch White had kind of been their designated spot start guy, and he's in Toronto now. So mm-hmm. maybe Pepio steps into that role. But yeah, sooner than later, it's going to be Dustin May rejoining the rotation. And I, you know, I don't think Kershaw is going to be out all that long either. All right. George Springer went to the IL with right elbow inflammation. Hunter Green with a right shoulder strain, not expected to require surgery, thankfully for Hunter Green. Starters sit these banged up players. Scott, Anthony Rizzo has missed three straight with lower back tightness and it's something he's dealt with the past couple of years, but when he's played this year, he's he's still been really good. So what do you think about using him this week? I'd try to play it safe with him. It depends what your alternative is at first base, how easily you could add another first baseman to your roster, but uh, you know, unless... Let's see, are they playing Monday, the Yankees? They are. So if we hear... Before the lineup lock, it'll be a later lineup lock. The first game's at 7-ish Eastern time. If we hear that he's in the lineup, obviously he's started. But otherwise, I think I'd try and play it safe with Rizzo. 
Kyle Tucker has missed four straight with an illness. What do you think about him? I'd probably start him. Ronald Acuna was scratched Sunday with lower body soreness. He did have some big games here on Friday and Saturday. Uh, are you yeah. leaving him in the lineup, Scott? I am. That that sounded like they just didn't want him playing on the wet grass. The game had a rain delay at the start. So I, I think Ronald Acuna is fine. Julio Rodriguez is looking to return either on Wednesday or Friday, Scott. So that gives him half a week. I think we're probably sitting him for now, right? Maybe not in a deeper rotisserie league, but in, in most formats, yeah. All right, let's fire up the drop-o-meter. We talked about a bunch of players to add earlier. What about these players? Can you drop them? Let's start with Sean Manaya, who was at the Dodgers on Friday. He gave up eight runs on 10 hits, one walk, over four innings pitched. He did have seven strikeouts. His fastball velocity was up, so a little bit of good, a lot of bad in this start once again. His last nine starts, a 6.60 ERA, 1.69 whip for Sean Manaya. He's still 93% rostered, Scott. Where are you at? on the drop meter one to 10 on him. On Sean Manaya, I'm probably about a six or seven on the drop meter Let's say six. Uh, certainly like in a league where 250 players are rostered, I'd have no objections to dropping him. If, if, if you're looking to get Reed Detmers on your roster, or maybe even like Jesus Lazardo, who we didn't talk about, but he had another good start. Over the week, and I'd be okay dumping Sean Manaya for either of them. Uh, but I, I do think, I, I do think better days are ahead for Manaya. I, I don't think he's a standout, but I, he's better than he's been lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, ZRA climbing. Gosh, what is it up to now? It's got to be close to five now. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the high fours overall. Yeah, definitely. If you're not dropping him, you're you're sitting him until he gets right. But I do think he will get right. Yeah. That overall ERA is up to 4.74 for Sean Benaya. He's going up against the Giants this week. They're ninth in weighted on base average against lefties. So definitely would bench Sean Benaya. Aaron Ashby, Scott. Unfortunately, another clunker here against the Reds. Four and two thirds, four runs allowed, five walks to five strikeouts, more of the same, struggling with control. And now seven starts since returning from the forearm injury, a 4.45 ERA, 1.48 whip, Four and a half walks per nine. And oddly enough, the ground ball rates got way down during this stretch. Only 41% earlier mm. in the season. That was over 60%. I mean, that was one, oh, yeah. of, that was one of Ashby's like standout skills. So Yeah, um, and then last year too. Yeah, uh, so we've been talking about Aaron Ashby, but I'm, I'm just wondering, like, maybe we're overvaluing him. What do you, If you have him, what do you think about dropping him? Well, I, I still think he's really talented and is going to have a good career as a starter, but... Yeah, he's had two great starts, basically. And and we feel both times we've reacted like, okay, this is the start of it. He's breaking out. And then he just doesn't follow it up with anything good. So uh, drop-o-meter for Aaron Ashby is is probably like an eight. I don't have confidence at this point that he's going to figure it out this year. He still could. But I don't think you need to cling to him as if he will. Josiah Gray allowed four more home runs on Friday at the Phillies, and over his last six starts, it's real bad. 7.63 ERA, 1.57 whip, 13 home runs allowed in his last six starts. That is Josiah Gray. He is 76% rostered. He's at the Cubs this week. I actually think he was a sleeper pitcher for you, Scott. So Yes. Uh, yep, he is. I, I moved him to 10th in the sleeper <laughs> pitcher rankings after this yeah. most recent start. But yeah, 13, 13 home runs in six starts is... Uh, 
that's bad. It's hard to have any success when you're giving up that many home runs. And, and that's been the big problem for Josiah Gray, even dating back to last year. He's been at his best when he's featured his slider more. Uh, it doesn't get hit nearly as hard as his fastball. And, and you know, it seems like in, during this rough stretch, he's, he hasn't leaned on the slider as much as, as during his best stretches. And so I'd like to see that change for Josiah Gray. And I, I think there's still hope for him going forward. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm being the 10th sleeper pitcher going into a week is, is not saying all that much, especially when you're 76% rostered. So, you know, even acknowledging he's on my sleeper pitcher list for this week, where is he on the drop a meter? Probably, probably up there with Ashby, like an eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be totally fine dropping him for Detmers, Edward Cabrera, Kirby, and I guess if you need a start, you could drop him for Kyle Gibson too, but eh, they're pretty similar to those two. Are we keeping the faith with Vinny Pasquantino, Scott? I don't know what's going on yes. here. He's got a two twenty seven batting average. He's got three homers. Plate discipline still looks good. The yeah. barrel rate and the expected numbers are starting to drop is something I've noticed for Vinny Pasquantino. Where is he on the drop meter? I'm keeping the faith on in Vinny Pasquantino. I think I still think he is going to ha- be great, be a great hitter. Um, the data is still very impressive, and beyond what you'd expect for a guy just breaking into the league, uh, whether it's the plate discipline or the quality of contact, and it's going to end well for him. Is he undroppable? No, I mean. I just had to make a decision to drop him. Well, I don't know if the claim's going to go through, but I, I have a claim for somebody else. And in one of my shallower leagues, only about 250 players rostered. I just, I can't afford to have a first baseman sitting on my bench in that league, no matter how good I think he is going to be. And I'm just hoping that I'll have another shot at him if, if, uh, if he does start breaking out. Mm-hmm. So I will say on the drop meter Pasquantino, I'll, I'll go like five for him. I could understand dropping him just because, well, you can't have him in your lineup right now and, and you may need the bench space for somebody else. But in the long run, I still, I still have confidence in him. The last one here is Nolan Jones, who has now sat four of the last six games for the Guardians. He's only 33% rostered. Scott, are we, is he droppable in, I don't know, even the deepest yeah. leagues? Yeah, he's a 10 on the drop-o-meter. I, he was one of the first players uh, when I queued up my waiver claims in those 15-team Roto Leagues. He was one of the first. I was first uh, that was getting waxed for me. <laughs> not not playing enough with, with Oscar Gonzalez back. I mean, it seems like he's taken all the, the playing time that Jones was getting before. And, of course, Jones against lefties is, has been an automatic no-go for the Guardians. Yeah. I mean, now he's even sitting against righties, so it's not going great yeah. for Nolan Jones. Starter sit these pitchers. They did something notable this weekend. Eric Lauer turned in a seven-inning quality start against the Reds, and he is going up against the Cardinals this week. Um, he's been better recently, Scott. Eric Lauer has. The underlying numbers don't really support it, but what do you think about the Cardinals? They're really good against lefties. Yeah, I, I would say probably lean towards sitting Lauer, even though he's been pretty effective. 262 ERA in his past six starts and more than a strikeout per inning, but the swinging strike rate's only 9% during that stretch. So I'd, I'd, I'd want a better matchup than the Cardinals for, for him. 
Pablo Lopez was hit hard once again. He was at the Cubs, five innings, nine hits, four runs allowed in this one, and he is going up against the Atlanta Braves this week. And, you know, famously, <laughs> he started against the Braves, I think, during the shortened season, Scott, and that was the game where they scored, like, 28 runs. <laughs> 29. 29. Yep. I don't think that's going to happen again, but uh, my, my confidence is wavering in Pablo Lopez. What do you think? So I was looking through the game log, and he's had some okay starts in his last 15, but I would say in his last 15 starts, Pablo Lopez has only had two great starts that you'd really miss having him in your line of four and 15, which I mean, it goes to show you just how impressive he was prior to those 15 starts. I think he had an ERA around one, uh, but that's a long time to be that mediocre. I mean, the overall numbers during that 15 start stretch, 491 ERA, 135 whip, less than a strikeout per inning. All, all the usual indicators look good for Lopez, like high swinging strike rate. The XFIP is, is, pretty good but um yeah i'm at the point now where i think he's he, he's kind of with sean Manaya for me where you know i i'd be more likely to drop Manaya than lopez i can't see myself dropping lopez but i think you got to sit him until he he regains your trust and i mean i don't know how many good starts in a row that's going to take obviously we're running out of time mm-hmm. but i wouldn't want to start him against the braves no Frankie Montas got rocked in his Yankees debut here at the Cardinals. Three innings, six runs allowed, only two strikeouts. He had three walks in this start. He hadn't pitched since July 26th. He was away for the uh, a death in his family, and he was recently dealing with that shoulder injury as well. Uh, Montas is going up against the Red Sox this week. What do you think about yep. starting him there? That's probably fine. It was a rough start. The, the previous two coming back from the IL, we're, we're pretty good. Uh, I, I think I'd stick with him for now. Jesus Lozardo has now had two strong outings off of the IL. He was at the Cubs this weekend, seven shutout, only one hit allowed, one walk, six strikeouts. Uh, velocity was down about you know one between 1 and 1.5 miles per hour on basically all of his pitches, so really don't like to see that, but he has been effective, Scott. Yeah. What do you think about using Lozardo against the Atlanta Braves this week? Well, and, and like the four-seamer, the fastball was down 1.6, but it was his fourth most used pitch, which is what we want to see from Luzardo. We want to see him use the off-speed stuff more, and uh, he's having success doing that. Against the Braves, uh, you know, Luzardo is far from automatic against the Braves. I'd be more likely to start him than Pablo Lopez, but I, I wouldn't say I'm eager to start him. Yeah, same. Lucas Giolito is the last one here. He had an okay start at the Rangers. Five innings, one run, five strikeouts, and he is going up against the Tigers this week. So it's a really good matchup, but kind of getting these Jekyll and Hyde starts from Lucas Giolito. Yeah, and even the the Jekyll ones are like five innings. So yeah, uh, you know, I, I I'd. Because the matchup is so good, you could think about starting Giolito. Otherwise, I'd, I'd call him an automatic sit. That's that's more where I'm at with him. I think it's going to be harder to get him in there in 12-teamers, but in deeper leagues, yeah. I could see using Lucas Giolito this week. Uh, a couple other leftovers here. We'll start with some pitching standouts from the weekend. Dylan Cease, four straight quality starts. He was at the Rangers, six innings, one run, five strikeouts there. Tony Gonsolin gets back on track with a solid start. Against the Padres, five shutout with six strikeouts. Robbie Ray 
a strong bounce back uh, up against the Angels. He really just can't pitch against the Astros, which I don't blame him. <laughs> They're really good. Seven innings, one run, 10 strikeouts for Robbie Ray. And then Max Scherzer now has seven straight quality starts since returning from the IL. He was up against the Braves, seven shutout, 11 strikeouts to zero walks. His ERA is down to 1.98 for the season. Scott, anything you'd like to add on Scherzer, Ray, Gonsolin, Cease? Gonsolin seems to be fading here mm-hmm. a little bit as the innings pile up for him. And I would say at this point, he's less than automatic now. Particularly if you're talking about a shallow league, four straight non-quality starts. ERA has gone from 162 to 230 for him. You know who else is fading? And let me check and see if you have him in the notes. Uh, okay, you do. We'll, we'll get through him in a little bit. All right. Uh, it's Shane McClanahan. We'll get to him a little bit. <laughs> oh, gosh. Scotty, I mean, between Connor Joe and Shane McClanahan, my, my heart is breaking right now. But look, he's still been okay. We'll, 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 we'll get to him. Uh, pitching standouts part two. Merrill Kelly now has seven straight quality starts. He was up against the Rockies. Seven innings, two runs, five strikeouts there. Christian Javier was at the Guardians. Six innings, one run, four strikeouts to zero walks. Tristan McKenzie... Uh, back on track with one of his best starts of the season against the Astros, no less. Eight shutout with eight strikeouts in that one. And then Aaron Nola uh, just keeps on with a quality start up against the Nationals. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts there. Scott, anything notable on Kelly, Javier, McKenzie, and Aaron Nola? Yeah, I think we should I think we should have a lot of confidence confidence in McKenzie at this point. I know the XFIP is high because the fly ball rate is high. Uh, but he has, he's just really hard to hit. And I think that makes up for it. You know, even those back to back starts where he allowed four earned runs prior to this start, I, I think he only gave up one home run between the two. So it wasn't like that was, was sinking him. You know, on paper, it looks like Tristan McKenzie would have the same problems Josiah Gray does, but uh, he doesn't seem to. So I mm-hmm. think he's, I think he's pretty bankable. McKenzie reminds me a lot of Jose Urquidy, Scott. He, he does get more strikeouts than Urquidy does, but they always routinely have good ERAs, good whips, but their XFIP is much higher because they are fly ball pitchers. But frankly, they, they've both been pretty effective. So uh, that is yep. Tristan McKenzie and Jose Urquidy. Pitching standouts part three. Kevin Galsman, back-to-back quality starts. He was at the Twins. Six shutout with five strikeouts. Corbin Burns, uh, back on track with a strong start against the Reds. Six innings, two, uh, one run, nine strikeouts there. Logan Webb was at the A's. Seven innings, two runs, five strikeouts. And then Tyler Anderson does not care about your Padres additions because he mowed them all down on Sunday night baseball. <laughs> Seven shutout, two hits, one walk, three strikeouts for Tyler Anderson. His ERA drops to 2.72. Anything here, Scott? Anderson, Webb, Burns, Gosman. Yeah, not really. Uh, Anderson seems like he's overachieving because the strikeout rate is not very high, but then the swinging strike rate is high, so it seems like he's underachieving with the strike. He's been a d- difficult one to figure out, but, uh, you know, he's he's having success, and he pitches for the team that's won 35 of their last 40 games, so <laughs> I'm not going to nitpick too much. All right, let's talk about Shane O'Mac. Here comes the money. No more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he was cruising in this start through his first six innings and then came back out for the seventh against the Tigers and it all kind of snowballed on him there. But the final line, six and a third, six hits, four runs, 
Only three strikeouts to zero walks. That's now two subpar outings in a row, Scott, for our guy Shane it's McClanahan. Against the Tigers, Frank. Against the he Tigers, only managed yeah. three strikeouts against the Tigers. Not great. Uh, the fastball was down 1.6 miles per hour in his previous start. Also not good against the Guardians. Mm-hmm. It was down only 0.7 in this one, so it wasn't it wasn't down as much. But he is he is now at his he's he's already set a career high in innings now, right? I, I believe that's the case. And uh, you j- you just wonder if maybe he's losing a little bit of steam because of that. I'm not saying I'm not saying you need to dump him. I'm not saying he's no longer a top 10 pitcher for me or anything like that. But just another reason why you might consider shopping him. Sort of the same rules apply as for DeGrom where you need to get like a really good return to justify the upside you're giving up, but you're you're pursuing it to protect yourself from the downside. Mhm. The problem, Scott, which I've run into in leagues where I have Shane McClanahan, is you know, if you play against savvy fantasy owners, they they know what you're doing. <laughs> they like they, they see do. they see what's going on with Shane McClanahan and you know the innings well, and all of you know everything that you just mentioned. So I, I shopped him in a few places and couldn't really get a fair return for him. That's why I you know I often say we do all these like buy low, sell high conversations. I almost never never do buy low, sell high trades, but that's because. I play with people who know exactly what I'm doing. I, I suspect the majority of listeners don't. Could be wrong about that. All right. But I suspect I suspect uh I suspect there are a lot of people playing out there who who don't have the same uh aren't used to the same level of competition we are. Some hitting leftovers from the weekend. Reese Hoskins has homered in four straight with which brings him to 24 home runs total. JT Real Muto getting the power back on track. He has four homers in his last 10 games, now up to 12 homers and 13 steals total for him. Trey Mancini had a double dong on Friday, including a grand slam, and it wasn't even in Houston. It came in Cleveland, so love to see that. Uh, you don't expect this often, but Rowdy Tellez had a sock and a shoe on Friday, his 22nd home run, first steal of the season. Obviously, Nolan Arenado is on fire once again, post all-star break, 12 games. He's batting 356 with four homers and an OPS approaching 1200 during that time. Francisco Lindor, same thing for him, post all-star break, 16 games. He's batting 400 with three homers and an 1104 OPS. Dalton Varsho getting back on track as well. He's got, he had two homers this weekend and three in his last six games. The cult- I, I do want to mention for Trey Mancini, because remember, we were worried about the playing time mm-hmm. since it didn't seem like they wanted to use him in the outfield much, if at all. He was playing consistently this weekend. I think he started once for Yuli Gurriel at first base, the other two at DH, with Jordan Alvarez playing left field. So the Astros like Alvarez in the outfield more than they like Mancini in the outfield. I don't know if that's the best thing for Alvarez's fantasy value, but... Uh, it does seem like good news for Mancini that they're willing to to move Alvarez out there for him. The call to the bullpen. Let's start with the Orioles on Friday. Felix Bautista struck out two for his fourth save. He is 47% rostered if you need a closer. In Tampa Bay on Friday, Colin Poche picked up his seventh save. Jason Adam pitched in the eighth inning of that game. For the Twins on Friday, 
Jorge Lopez entered with a one-run lead. He gave up three singles, and he blew the save in that one. Uh, I know he pitched the ninth inning for another game this weekend, so I don't think there's really anything to worry about there. For the Brewers on Friday, Devin Williams struck out the final two batters for his seventh save, and then on Sunday, he entered with the game tied in extra innings. He gave up two unearned runs and took his second loss of the season. wasn't really his fault. I saw there was a pretty bad error by uh, Mike Brasso behind Devin Williams. For the Yankees on Friday, Clay Holmes entered in the eighth inning with a one-run lead to face the heart of the Cardinals order. He gave up a two-run double to Paul DeYoung, which we mentioned earlier. That is Clay Holmes's second straight blown save and loss. So, And I, I believe, well, you, you mentioned he was in the eighth inning. They had Chapman, yep. who they were going to bring in for the ninth in that game. So it seems like maybe now Clay Holmes is... Grip on the job is is uh, is is a tenuous one right now. I'm not I, saying he's out as the closer. I'm just right. saying Chapman might start getting some save chances himself. No, yeah, I, I definitely think that's possible for the Mariners on Saturday. After working three games in a row, Paul Sewald was likely unavailable. That meant Eric Swanson picked up his third save. He is three percent rostered. He's another name that I was I had some claims on in, in deeper leagues. On Sunday night, not ahead of the names we mentioned earlier, like Ian Kennedy and those. But uh, if you're really desperate for saves, Eric Swanson has pitched very, very well for the Mariners this season. On Sunday, Paul Sewald was back at it for his 14th save. On Saturday for the Cardinals, Ryan Helsley was unavailable. Giovanni Gallegos struck out two for his 11th save. And then for the Reds on Sunday, Hunter Strickland gave up a game-tying solo homer in the ninth. And he has now allowed at least one run in four of his last five outings. He is Hunter Strickland, so that's that's going to happen. And then Ross Detweiler picked up the save in the 10th inning uh, here on Sunday for the Reds. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Monday. Jordan Lyles versus the Blue Jays. Yusei Kikuchi at the Orioles. Keegan Thompson versus the Nationals. Jose Suarez at the A's. And Cole Irvin versus the Angels. I like Cole Irvin the best. He's been money at home. He had a huge July. The Angels' offense is terrible. I think he's a pretty easy call. My second favorite is probably Yusei Kikuchi at Baltimore. Uh, it's looked better since coming off the IL, though the longest he's gone is five innings. But, you know, maybe maybe he'll be a little more built up now and, and uh, go long enough for a win. On Tuesday, we have Brady Singer up against the White Sox, Braxton Garrett at the Phillies, Marcus Stroman versus the Nationals, and James Caprillion versus the Angels. Well, they're all good choices. I Whoa. think. Uh, I would rank them Stroman <laughs> against the Nationals, Singer against the White Sox, Braxton Garrett at the Phillies. James Caprillion at the Angels is a distant fourth, but that's a really favorable matchup and he's been on a nice run. I don't I don't think he he has the upside to sustain it, but I, I think with this matchup you could roll the dice with him. Scott White optimism. During to stream or not to stream. This is just, we are breaking new ground here on Fantasy Baseball today. As for my movie take, I'm going to have to save it for tomorrow because we are up against it here. But, uh, oh, okay. Look, we have a shorter slate of games on, on Monday, so I think we could, uh, fool around a little bit. But we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. 
don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.